Welcome to the Grazing Grass Podcast, episode 42. No, absolutely. In fact, it was, as, as we say, a, a farm built from scratch. Um, we didn't have any places to stay. There was no barn, no corrals, no water, no electricity, just uh, some broken fences. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. And every episode features a grass farmer in their operation. I'm your host, Cal Hardage. On today's show, we have Juan from Argentina. And Juan, I want to apologize. I am not attempting your last name. But in a little bit, Juan will tell us more about himself, his grass farmer, and he is from South America, the first guest we have from, on from South America. Him and his wife are building a regenerative and sustainable farm utilizing cattle, sheep, and goats. Before we talk to Juan, last week we announced a giveaway and had great participation. Thank you to everyone who um, left a review and emailed it in. I will email the winner today and get their book shipped to them. If you didn't win or haven't participated, there is time. Listen after Juan's interview for more information. Let's talk to Juan. Juan, we want to welcome you to the Grazing Grass Podcast. We're excited to have you on here today. Hi, Cal. Thanks a lot for having me. It's a big honor. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? In your operation? Well, my name is uh, Juan Sanguinetti. I am from uh, Buenos Aires, Argentina, in the southern tip of South America. Together with my wife, uh, Soledad, and our four kids, we have a livestock operation in the Argentinian Pampas. Our story, like any other story, is a particular story. Um, I'm a city boy. I was raised in the northern suburbs of a, of a big city. Nowadays, it's 15 million people. Uh, I went to a bilingual school where I was lucky enough to meet my wife. After that, I studied law. And after becoming a lawyer, I studied for another four years. I got specialized in corporate and real estate law and got a public, uh, notary public register at Buenos Aires. Uh, since then, I have worked in, uh, in what nowadays is my notary office. But as I, all that happened, I realized that I really needed contact uh, with, with nature, you know? Oh, yes. Um, so we started with a home uh, plant and tree nursery. Um, uh, we raised uh, eucalyptus, casuarinas, uh, palm trees, uh, jacarandas, and several other species. And so I realized I, I had what, what we call here uh, a green hand, you know, kind of a, a talent, have a knack for, you know, yes. for, for, for plants and for trees. Um, so uh, clearly I was you know, uh, good at raising plants and doing trees. And so our dreams slowly started to, to, to take shape, you know. So um, some years after that, we, we started to search for an opportunity. We drove half of the province of, of Entre Rios looking for one for about four years or so. And finally, we, well, we, we, we found some and eventually we chose one and went for it. So in January 2015, we finally bought La Soila Farm. I just think that's an interesting journey. You've started thus far um, going, growing up in an urban setting, becoming a lawyer, and then to plants, and now to purchasing land. Um, when you purchased the land, did you think, oh, I'm going to put cattle on it? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we have some relationship uh, with, with farms. You know, my, my grandfather and my great grandfathers were farmers and as well as my father-in-law too. So, oh, yes. so we, we, we knew we wanted to be farmers. That, 
That makes sense. So you purchased your land in January of 2015? Yeah, yeah, we, we bought it. Uh, La Soila is a 260 hectare farm, which is about 642 acres. It's close to the city of Gualeguaychú in the Entre Rios province. Um, uh, it's quite close to, to the Argentinian Uruguayan border. In fact, we can see Uruguay uh, from the tallest parts of, of, our, of our farm. And hopefully we will be adding oh, a, yes. new, a new plot shortly. Um, this farm is about uh, 215 kilometers northwest of Buenos Aires, which is about uh, 130 miles. And um, well, the, the climate there, you know, it's, it's uh, quite uh, temperate, uh, warm and temperate, I should say. We have uh, four distinct seasons uh, with a mild winter. So we, we have no snow, no snow and uh, with an average annual temperature of, of about 15 degrees centigrade, that is uh, 64 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, with minimums of 28 oh, yes. Fahrenheit and maximums of 104, that is minus two degrees centigrade and 40 degrees centigrade. So it's kind of, kind of uh, temperate, you know? Yes. Um, our precipitation there, is, has an thank God an even distribution. We have about uh, 1,200 millimeters. That is about 47 inches, um, uh, with an average annual humidity of 75 percent. But unfortunately, what we have there is a, a clay layer that makes things hard. Um, so it's poorly drained. Uh, but we have gentle slopes, so water eventually uh, uh, goes away and we manage to, to keep on farming. You know? So when you purchased the farm, uh, was it ready for cattle? No, absolutely. In fact, it was, as, as we say, a, a farm built from scratch. Um, we didn't have any places to stay. There was no barn, no corrals, no water, no electricity just uh, some broken fences uh, and a place that had been uh, badly treated for a long, long time, you know, um, under conventional grazing uh, by uh, people who rented the place. So they had overgrazed it. Oh, yes. And uh, they didn't take care at all for, for a long time. So we, we found lots of, of degraded soil. So, so you purchased a place with plenty of potential, uh, plenty of room for improvement. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, even though, I mean, um, talking about potential, you know, even though we, we didn't have any experience in managing livestock, um, as I told you, we had some, uh, some family uh, back, uh, farming background though, but that uh, blank page where we started, uh, turned out to be uh, an opportunity as well. It was something bad and something good at the same time. We were not conditioned oh, yes. by the things, uh, by, by the way um, people are farming, you know? Um, so yes. we knew it wasn't a hobby farm. Um, we put a lot of effort in that. And, and well, so we just kept kept moving and being open to, to what was best uh, for the place, you know? So what was your first thing to do when you, when you uh, purchased the land? Um, the first thing to do was get a, a, big, uh, a big list of people to help us. <laughs> you know, we were foreigners. <laughs> yes. We were foreigners in the place, so we needed uh, contact with, with locals and with people. Uh, not necessarily no locals at the same time that could give us a hand. And at that same time, I started uh, um, studying a lot. And, 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 and I know, I mean, I, we had to do everything from scratch. So we did all the watering yes. and we did all the fences and uh, we learned how to, how to graze. We almost started with, with uh, 
rational grazing with ro rotational grazing, which was a great thing to do. Um, so, I mean, we had to do everything. On your rotational grazing, did your relatives use rotational grazing or was it something you had discovered through your research? No, I, I discovered through my, my research. In fact, the, the people I, I talked to, they, they weren't doing this at all. Did you, how did you discover it, if you recall that? Well, I, I got a book by, by Alan Savory and some other books. Oh, yes. Um, so I, I thought it was wonderful. And at the same time, uh, once I talked to, to someone who told me that he had learned something about this, um, so I just went on and watched every, every YouTube video I could and, and so on. So, so we, I mean, we went for it, you know? Yes. Very good. We, we talk a lot about on this podcast, just getting started. And it sounds like you jumped in on the deep end. Um, well, yeah, but you know, I mean, the, the place was so degraded that it was so obvious that conventional grazing was doing, um, was not doing good to the place, you know? So, uh, yes, it, it, I mean, it was quite natural to go for that. When you started, um, what kind of grasses do you have there? What kind of forages? No, we, we just had the, the, the normal forages, the, the, the natural forages you have there. But we, we, um, we first did some uh, sorghum in order to, to put things a little bit in, in shape, you know. And after that, oh, okay. we went for a consociated pasture a couple of years after that. And we, we drilled, we did no drill. Um, uh, white and red clover and uh, lotus corniculators, you know, bird's foot trefoil, I, I believe you call it. Oh, yes. And some, some fescue yes. and some uh, bromus. Um, so, I mean, it was wonderful. It was amazing. And, and, and how things are getting better every, year after year, it's, it's absolutely amazing. And those, those forages you mentioned are very familiar to us um, because that's what we're using as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, we're, we're as well letting some, uh, in the last years, we have been letting some of the native, native grasses come in too. Um, so so our, our cows are doing a, a great job there, putting everything in place. And making making some oh yes some weight out out of that uh, pasture you know yes and as well we're having some uh, cool season uh, grass with rye grass and as I told you we keep doing um, uh, warm season with uh, sorghum Sudan grass oh yeah very good it, does the cool season grasses do they grow very long for you. Uh, the cool season grass, um, our, our rye grass, for instance, starts in uh, uh, March and we have it uh, till um, November, more or less. But we are, I, I don't, oh, I'm yes. not certain if you call uh, promotion, we call here promotion when you leave that rye grass uh, seed, no? Oh, okay. So by more or less, uh, by start of, of October, I leave that, that ryegrass seed, reseed. Re oh, reseed so, itself. So we keep on having ryegrass. Oh, yes. Yeah. We have, you know, we have uh, certain paddocks that have, uh, uh, where we're making cool and warm season grasses, but I certainly prefer to have consociated pastures. So I, I believe we're uh, slowly moving out of these uh, monocultures to go to a much more complex, com a complex um, uh, pasture. Uh, and as well, I, I, I'd love to have even more uh, species of, of grasses. We're, oh, we're yes. slowly keep bringing the native grasses and I'm looking for other, other 
grasses as well to to slowly uh, drill to our pastures. Um, on talking about the drilling, you drilled in ryegrass. Have you had to do any more drilling of that, or has it reseeded enough for you? No, I just no. We just uh, drilled it uh, once. Oh, okay. And after that, we kept promoting it for the last four years. Oh, very good. And right now, you are um, getting ready to come up on springtime. Would that be correct? Yeah, we're, in fact, we're, we're, yeah, yeah, we're in spring right now, yeah. Oh, you're in spring right now, yeah. So, yeah. which is always an exciting time. It is. And challenging time as well. Do you have, it is, yeah. Do you have your cows, Kevin, in the spring? Yes, yes, we do. We do. No, we have, uh, our livestock is composed of, um, of red angus, uh, which we, we breed. Uh, they're quite uh, hardy for a place. The place may, might be sometimes a little bit uh, harsh, you know, due to parasite problems and so on. Uh, flies and you know oh yeah and as well we have a commercial herd uh, that is made up of of angus and uh, bla black and red angus and hereford and uh, we as well have a mixture of both two and a little uh, brahman uh, blood but we're slowly moving towards having our own um, cattle that are actually uh, raised in, in our farm, the, uh, these these uh, cattle is doing much more much better than the cattle uh, under the, the the commercial herd. You know, they're kind oh, of yes. accustomed to the place. So, are you raising your own bulls? No, no. We 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 have uh, um, we have a, a bull of our own. We're doing some insemination as well. Oh yes. And just a couple of days ago, we bought our our second bull. Uh, thank God. So, so we're slowly, you know, uh, slowly growing. Yes. Well, the, that's the best way. It gives you time to figure out the way you want to do stuff. Gives you that trial and error. I was just talking to my dad earlier today, talking about how we need to do things the wrong way a few times before we figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, a good, a good way of, of, of learning, you know? Yes. You have to be humble to learn from your mistakes. Yes. It's it's always a learning experience for us. So you have your um, cattle. Let's jump back just a little bit. We were talking about your land when you purchased it. The fences were down. You had to do watering. How did you, or what kind of fencing did you put up? Well, we made, um, we put a lot of effort into doing our perimeter for fence first. Um, we put there a permanent uh, high tensile six string uh, galvanized oh, wire. Yes. Uh, yeah, six string with, with wooden posts. And then we moved on doing our internal fences. Um, we have some for permanent paddocks with a uh, five string, uh, sometimes six string, but mostly five string uh, permanent um, steel with, with mostly with steel posts, not uh, sometimes oh, okay. with wooden posts, but mostly with steel posts. Yes. No barbed wire. We don't like barbed wire. Oh, yeah. Uh, and as well, then we have, of course, the, the temporary uh, fencing subdivisions. Um, which are of mostly of, of one or two strands of poly wire, you know. Um, yes. We do them with these uh, portable fiberglass uh, stepping posts, um, you know, the ones that, that where you may put uh, multiple strands or yes. pigtails. Um, okay, yeah. We use these uh, ground rods with the reels, you know. Yes. And, of course, we use lots of... of, of our energizers as well. Do you have a preference for your energizers? Uh, we're just uh, we're using a local brand 
called uh, Picana, but I'm looking forward to to perhaps buying uh, another one. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Yes. We're also making uh, several alley systems. Um, you know, animal walkways to make uh, the managing easier. And that turned out be, to be something something quite good um, for, for the day-to-day -day management. Now, on your alleyways, are you having that where they have alleyways back to water? Or are you using the alleyways just for movement? Both. Both. We have our troughs uh, in some of the walkways and as well for the managing factor. You mentioned troughs. Did you run pressurized water throughout your pastures? Um, yes, we, we made uh, two wells. Uh, okay. Each of them have their submersible pumps. One is connected to a power grid. The other one is uh, solar powered because we cannot get a solar, I mean, um, a grid over there. Yes. And each of those pumps have their uh, storage tanks which in Argentina are called, I don't know why, <laughs> Australian tanks. You know, they are oh. um, made up of corrugated galvanized sheets uh, with, an, with an open top. Oh, yes. And so we have one, one of our tanks has uh, 10 sheets, which is about 8,500 uh, gallons. That is 70,000 liters. And the other one is of seven sheets. Of, of about uh, 13,000 gallons, which is more or less 50,000 liters. And they, they go out to a network of plastic pipes uh, of two and one and a half inch, according to, to the place where they're in, which are yes. uh, buried on the ground. Uh, that was about, uh, they're about 2.2 uh, miles long. Uh, we put uh, a lot of effort into that. And um, these uh, networks uh, feeds tell 10 um, um, concrete water troughs with a concrete base. Very uh, we, we do not have mobile troughs yet. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's quite nice and it, it works wonderfully. Do you need some mobile Watering troughs, or do those concrete ones handle handle all your pastures or paddocks well? I mean, they work very well, but uh, you, as you see afterwards, uh, we're moving towards more complexity, and I'd love to do uh, some head uh, tail grazing, for instance, and uh, these mobile water troughs would do great uh, in that in that system. Um, you know, we, we also, uh, our livestock is also composed of, uh, of other animals, not only um, uh, cattle, and we have goats as well and sheep as well. So I'd love to, to try eventually a head-tail uh, grazing system with mobile water troughs. But as I told you, we're going slowly heading yes. towards... Um, the following challenges year after year. Now, you're saying a head-tail grazing system. Can you describe what that is more? Well, you know, um, it's about making uh, temporary fencing subdivisions, but having, the, the for instance, the, 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 the cows, for instance, uh, having the, the, the first part of the, the, of the grass, and after that, moving them to the following uh, subdivision, to the following paddock, and having um, a mixture of animals, perhaps uh, old cows, uh, perhaps mixed with goats or mixed with, with sheep, eat the, the sub subdivision that was left over um, by the, the cows or, or, or the growing steers, for instance. Oh, yes. So, so in this way, the, 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 I mean, you, you, get, uh, you maximize productivity and you get to eat, for instance, weeds. That's something I'm, I'm looking forward oh, to. Oh, yes. Not to use uh, herbicides eventually. Yeah, you get that first group that's eating the higher quality stuff and that second group um, consuming some of the lower quality, but also eating those weeds and other things. 
Uh, sometimes it's referred to as leader follower grazing as well. Yes, leader yeah. follower. Yes, it's it's yeah, it's true. So I want to find out more about your goats and sheep. <laughs> Where we're doing right now some experimentation in our farm. You know, um, I heard of all of your podcasts, of all of your episodes so far. <laughs> yes, every everyone, but I believe one or two. Uh, didn't talk well about your goats, um, but it's a it's a it's a it's a quest. I mean, I, I you know, um, yes. Uh, when when our cows leave our paddocks, they leave lots of weed. So I guess uh, we can turn that weed, we can control that weed, turning it into kilograms, and as oh, well yes. our farm has um, lots of, of, of woods, you know? Um, so these, uh, for instance, the goats, um, I, I, you can see them eating in, eating uh, branches. As we say here, they, yes. they, they, <laughs> they uh, give water out of, out, of, um, out of the stones, you know? So they, they trim, they trim the... the they, they, I mean, they, they browse the tree leaves and the shrubs. So if you keep rotating them, um, they will trim your tree branches. And so more light gets underneath the canopy. So after that, of course, you, you, I mean, sometimes one plus one is three. Right. Um, you will have more grass eventually. Of course, if you manage them correctly, no? You shouldn't overgraze. Um, with goats too. I mean, you, you have to bring goats and sheep into the rotation. That's what we're trying to do right now. And I think as you mentioned that you're, you're really striking on an important point about that. You're identifying what species work for your land and you've got some browse there, which is wonderful for goats. Yeah, ab absolutely. Absolutely. We have lots of, you know, for instance, we have there a weed, that it's called um, uh, senicio. I think you call it senicio. Um, we call it here uh, senicio. It's a plant that comes from Madagascar. Uh, we just got yellow flower, which is quite toxic oh, yes. for, for cattle. And in this experimental parcel that we have, um, after two or three months, you cannot find one of those. So, I, I mean, it's not toxic for them, but it's toxic for cattle. Oh, yes. You know? So, they're doing a wonderful job. They're doing a wonderful Very job. Very good. If you, if you raise your head and look anywhere else, you will find lots of that, of that weed, but not in the experimental parcel. So, that's why we're trying. Nowadays, we're building um, some um, permanent uh, fences within the woods to keep rotating um, uh, not only the cows, but as well uh, goats and sheep as well. Oh, yes. And what breed of goats are you using? Well, we're trying with three different breeds. We have the Anglo-Nubian, um, the Boer, uh, which is the South yes. African, you know, Anglo-Nubian, I believe they come from Britain, and the Salmon. Oh, okay which come, come from um, yes. Switzerland. Um, um, my, my wife loves uh, Anglo-Nubians, but uh, I, I, should, I would want to keep the boars, you know, because they're, they're like little, little tanks. <laughs> that they are. They're, they're built a lot more solid. Uh, uh, and they do fine. They do fine yes. here. Yeah, yeah. And, and then uh, we have as well sheep, you know, we have these uh, Hampshire down sheep. Hampshire sheep? Yeah, yeah, they're double purpose. Oh, yes. They're, they're, they're good for, I mean, uh, meat, meat and, and wool. Do you have a decent market for wool there? Not really. Uh, we, I mean, um, um, I'm not expecting to, to in, in the short term, to sell these uh, sheep. Oh, yeah. I'm doing just the experimentation and and eating some meat once in a while, yes. you know. But I'm I'm not not looking forward to to selling or wool. Oh, okay. In in the short term, at least. 
And Hampshires get pretty good size. And I have to be honest, I don't know a lot about them. Yes, they do. The place where we are in Entre Rios province, most of the sheep are, um, are Hampshire. Oh, yes. They do great there. Well, very good. And when you talk about uh, you're experimenting with the goats and sheep and seeing how to go, where do you see your farm going for the next few years? Well, we have uh, lots of, of goals, uh, long-term and short-term goals. Um, you know, my wife uh, once told me that she, she saw the farm as a project incubator. You know, the farm will accept any project you, you propose. Yes. So, uh, we're, uh, we're planning to do lots of things there, but mostly, uh, we must, uh, get, uh, to be more productive. We must become better grass farmers, uh, and building quality, uh, through management, you know? Yes. Um, that's a goal. We need to scale our production too. And as I told you, we're trying to build a system that is uh, uh, resilient to climate change um, through managing complexity. Now, as I said, all these goat and sheep uh, interrotation thing. Uh, we'll come back to the climate change or, in, or resilience in just a little bit um, for the overgrazing section. But before we come back, what are some challenges you've had in getting your farm started and to the point it is now? Well, starting from scratch, I believe almost everything was a challenge for us. We started from a, a, a blank page. As I told you, we saw that as, as an opportunity. Uh, we didn't start uh, conditioned by preconceptions. Nevertheless, um, we had to build this infrastructure the watering, the fences, the barn, buying a tractor, all the internal roads, there were lots of challenges. And one of those was as well to build, uh, to build a, a team, you know? Um, well, we are, we, we come from Buenos Aires. We are, we have a little distance going to a farm that, that was also a challenge and to, to build a team in another pro province was, was challenging too. But I think we're, we're getting to, to that place. We're very happy with the people we work with. Very good. That team building portion um, involving other people can be really difficult. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's true. But I mean, when, you, when you're trying to do things right, things turn out to be much easier, you know? Yes. Um, I believe people can tell that we're trying to do things right. Um, in all levels, no possible levels. Very good. I am sure you're doing great things there. Juan, let's go ahead and move to our overgrazing section. It's where we take a deep dive into some facet of your operation. And we discussed this a little bit earlier and we were talking about climate resilience. Well, yeah, you know, according to the the Food and Agriculture Organization, FAO, by 2050, uh, the world population shall be increasing from uh, about 7,500 million to about 10,000 million people. So they also say that uh, we must increase, due to demographic uh, reasons, we must increase by 70% um, the world food production over that period. Um, at the same time, unfortunately, it is clear that resources are, are getting uh, exhausted. Um, and as well, climate change puts some extra strain too. Uh, this is perhaps the, the mother of the mother of all of all battles, you know? Yes. Um, so I truly believe that we're required to start working differently. Um, we must pursue strategies to create an agricultural system that our planet can uh, sustain. And perhaps 
you know, the word sustainability uh, isn't enough. We must move towards regeneration, yes. you know, to, towards building, uh, not sustaining. Um, but, but if we talk about sustainability, we're not, not only talking about ecological sustainability, but also um, economic sustainability. Um, so I believe we must innovate uh, and those who can adapt will be the, the, the winners of, of, of the future, no? Yes. So I'm trying to see, uh, even though climate change, of course, is an, is a, an awful thing, I'm trying to see this uh, proactively. Um, I, I really believe that, that this challenge is a huge opportunity um, for doing things right, no? For, for, for mankind. And um, grass-fed beef and uh, rotational grazing uh, may be a part of the solution, not, not a part of, of the problem. Yes. So we must try to build a system that is as resilient as can be. Um, this uh, perhaps means um, managing complexity, for instance. Um, you know, uh, diversification enhances stability, as we can see in this uh, wooded brushy areas. You know, if you get into a, a brushy area uh, that where, where nature is doing by its own its job, um, you, you might see if you're open enough and you can, you can get to, to sense nature, um, you will see a place that is in balance. No? So after all, um, diversity is stability. This uh, diversity, you, you see uh, temperature stability, moisture stability, uh, natural play control. Um, that's why we're, we're I mean, um, in, in perhaps here in Argentina, people are taking our woods out to, to plant uh, soybeans, no? Oh, yes. And after 10 or 15 years, those fields are absolutely devastated. So I'm, I'm not talking badly about soy fields. Soy fields are great, but we must uh, rotate, you know? Um, we must try to look for balance. And with these uh, changing weather patterns that we have, for instance, here in Argentina, we have, I don't know in the States, but we have El Nino and La Nina. So we have years of drought and years of excess humidity. And, and this obliges us to, to, to be flexible and, and, to, and to cope with the dynamics of this uh, situation. Um, we must learn to, to, work, to work with nature, uh, not against it. We must enforce it. We must enforce it. I, I, th I think someone in your po podcast uh, once said this, and I totally agree with this. We must work, learn to work with nature, not yes. against it. So um, we must um, try to be not only carbon neutral, but carbon positive. And I believe in, in the short term, um, we will be um, um, doing some certification. I mean, not in my farm, I mean, generally. Oh, this yeah. will be the only way to work in the near future. We must uh, do some carbon sequestration and we must certify that. Yes. That is the right way to do things. Um, and what we're looking for in our farm, as I told before, uh, is this uh, multi-species rational grazing, uh, which we call um, pastoreo racional multiespecie in, in Spanish. And this is to diversify production with different uh, livestock species, but as well with different uh, plant species. For instance, having grass and legumes in every field. That's why we're moving out slowly from, from the monoculture of ryegrass or sorghum. Yes. Um, and after all, we will um, benefit from that uh, synergy between different species. Um, 
I mean, this is a bit what we're doing right now. We're getting connected, you know? Right. Um, uh, people are getting connected and, and plants must get connected and species must, must get connected. That is the, 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 the right way, I believe, uh, to, to cope with, with, um, with uh, climate change. I agree with what you're saying, Juan. As we look out at Mother Nature and what she does, we don't find a monoculture out there in anything, whether we're talking plant species, animal species, anything. It's, it's a polyculture of whatever we're discussing. And I think that diversity or yeah. polyculture is so very important. Yes, I, I believe that too. And as, as well, I, I believe we, much, we must uh, match correctly our livestock species to the land resource we have. I, exactly. I don't think uh, the human race has done good uh, uh, that job in the previous years. No, we were trying to fit only cows, for instance, in a, in a parcel. No, but if we put different species, they will do a much better job because that's the way nature works. Yes, I, and, you know, I'm guilty of that as well. Um, I had my meat goats and I sold my meat goats. Um, they're... They're, they're probably my favorite animal on the farm outside of them getting out of my pat, paddocks, but I didn't have enough brush for them at the time. Um, so I was forcing uh -huh. a, a round peg into a square hole or vice versa and having them graze more grass rather than browse enough. And when you do that, you start running into some other issues because that's not what they're made for. Well, in my place, we have all that shrub because there has been only one species, and that is uh, cows. Oh, yes. We only had cows for the last 100 years or so. So the brush came in. We have a, a local brush called uh, Chilka, which uh, doesn't let any sunlight in. So you don't have grass. Uh, you just have Chilka. Oh, yes. So what our goats are doing... They're clearing out that, but not overgrazing, no? Right. They're clearing out that, and grass is, and, 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 and we're having more diversity. They're doing a, a job uh, nature does. Yes. Uh, but I, I, I must focus on this. We, we don't have to, I mean, goats are great. What is wrong with goats is when they're managed incorrectly. Yes. Yeah, I think you're completely accurate with that. And jumping back, just a little bit as you started um, when we started this about climate resilience and sustainability and you talked about your farm being sustainable. You know, your farm has to be profitable for you to realize your goals. Um, you, if you're losing money, you can't continue on and get to where you need to. So you've got to have your farm be profitable. Absolutely. That's why uh, we must talk you know, about not only uh, ecologic sustainability. I'm, I'm not being a fanatic here. Eh? I, I don't believe in fanatisms. Um, we must reach economic sustainability as well. Yes. We must pursue it. I, I completely agree. Juan, I've really enjoyed our conversation thus far, and it's about time for us to move into our famous four questions. But before we get to the famous four, is there anything you'd like to add to what you've said before that maybe I didn't ask about or we moved on too quickly from? No, no. It's, it's good. All right. Excellent. I, I had that suggestion from a past guest that maybe we should uh, give a chance for some thoughts there. Because, you know, sometimes these conversations, they, they don't always go where I think they're going to go in the beginning but they're all really good and I don't want to take away from them. But sometimes just swing back, make sure we've got everything. Juan, it's time for our famous four questions. It's the same four questions we ask of all of our guests. Our first question, what's your favorite grazing grass related book or resource? Well, it's a, a hard question. I'm a, a very avid consumer. Um, I must mention Alan Savory. I must mention Gabe Brown. I must mention uh, Pablo Echeverri here in Argentina. 
but my favorite guest uh, guess goes to a Brazilian um, called uh, Luis Carlos Pinheiro Machado. He unfortunately passed away last year. And um, his book is called uh, Boisan Rational Grazing, Agricultural Technology for the Third Millennium. I'm not certain if you have, if you have it in, in, in English. So hello, publishers there. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's a great book. Wonderful book. Oh, very good. And it's one I'm not familiar with. Um, I will have to look it up and see if there's a translated copy. Or it gives me more reason to learn to read Spanish. <laughs> Our second question. What tool could you not live without on your farm? Another uh, difficult question. Um, I could say my electrifiers, I could mention my tractor as well, or, or my electronic scale, but my, my choice goes out to um, my computer, which is right in front of me right now. <laughs> you know, with my, my computer, we manage our, our Excel spreadsheets, our health plans. Um, it's such a wonderful source of knowledge. Um, you know, our uh, YouTube podcasts and, and, and there's so much information out there. Uh, I, I, you know, when I wake up from work at night, I just can be hours in front of my computer uh, uh, just learning. Uh, I can find what, I mean, a, a New Zealand way of doing things, an Australian way of doing things, an American and, and, and a South African, and, and bring it here. It's, it's amazing. It's wonderful. Oh, I can completely concur. The technology is just amazing. Just the potential for learning it gives us. Um, just using technology for this podcast and us having this conversation. It's, it's amazing. It's yeah. a tremendous tool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, um, remember, I'm in the southern tip of South America, and you're, you're right now in the middle of the United yes. States. <laughs> yes. No? Can you believe it? And, and we get it? to talk about something we both love. Yeah. And we get to relate to each other. Yes. We learn to, to, to learn from each other. It's wonderful. It is wonderful. Our third question is, what would you tell someone just getting started? Um, I would tell them to, to be um, enthusiastic, to be committed to the job, to enjoy, to be curious, curious to, I mean, uh, love to learn. Um, um, when you love to learn, there will be uh, an enormous intensity and energy behind what you do. Um, align yourself to a goal and an align yourself to a vision. There's so much power in that. And at the same time, um, be humble. Uh, learn from your mistakes. Uh, be open-minded to change. Uh, be flexible. Um, get inspired by nature, work with nature. That's a lot of advice, perhaps. Sorry for it, that. It's all wonderful <laughs> advice, Juan. Okay, thanks for that. And lastly, where can others find out more about you and your farm? Well, we have a web page uh, under construction right now, which is uh, lasoila dot com dot ar which is l a z o i l a dot com dot ar ar from Argentina um, as well we have an uh, our Instagram is lasoila prm for um, pastoreo racional multiespecie which is uh, multi species rational grazing which is what we're trying to to experiment right now. Oh, yes. And as well, my email address is uh, Juan, J-U-A-N, at lasoila.com. 
Very good. One, we we will put links to that in our show notes, and we appreciate you coming on and sharing about your journey and what you're doing in Argentina. Thank you so much for having me. I trust you enjoyed our conversation with Juan. As always, it was great to hear how another grass farmer is operating their farm and the challenges they're facing and overcoming. I mentioned earlier in the podcast about a giveaway. It'll only take you a couple minutes to do. Go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the podcast and leave a review. The review helps us get the word out about our podcast. After leaving the review, take a screenshot and email it to me at cal, that's C-A-L, at grazinggrass.com. At the end of the week, we will draw another winner, and they will receive Greg Judy's latest book, How to Think Like a Grazer. Also, we have some exciting news for those that have been asking. We will have some grazing grass merch soon. Watch for more news on our email list or our social media accounts. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. And every episode features a grass farmer in their operation. You can find the Grazing Grass Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we appreciate you sharing our post. Are you a grass farmer? Would you like to join me on the podcast to share about your journey and what you're doing? Go to the Grazing Grass website at grazinggrass.com. Click on Be Our Guest and fill out the form and we'll be in touch. Until next time, keep on grazing grass. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. I know I did. Thank you for listening. And if you found something useful, please share it. Share it on your social media. Tell your friends. Get the word out about the podcast. Helps us grow. If you happen to be a grass farmer and you'd like to share about your journey, go to grazinggrass.com and click on Be Our Guest. Fill out the form and I'll be in touch. We appreciate your support by sharing our episodes and telling your friends about it. You can also support our show by buying our merch. We get a little bit back from that. Another way to support the show is by becoming a Grazing Grass Insider. Grazing Grass Insiders enjoy bonus content, monthly Zooms, and discounts. You can visit the website, grazinggrass.com, click on support, and they'll have the links there. Also, if you haven't left us a review, please do. It really helps us as people are searching for podcasts. And I was just checking them, and we do not have very many reviews for 2024. So if you haven't left us a review, please do. And until next time, keep on grazing grass.